This podcast is brought to you by Free Buddhist Audio, the Dharma for your life. Our work is funded entirely by donations from our generous listeners. If you would like to help us keep this free, make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. Thank you and happy listening. Well, I've been asked to give this talk about uh, jhana paramitala. And I think you're in the middle of this series on the six paramitas. And jhana paramita, or the paramita of meditation, is the fifth of the six. The sixth being pregnya paramita, or the paramita of wisdom. Uh, the word paramita meaning something like perfection, or perfecting, perfecting. It's um, that which perfects. So, so actually, each of the paramitas becomes perfected by wisdom. That's how it works. So the last paramitar, the, the pragna paramitar, is the real pragna paramitar. It's the real paramitar, you could say. All the others are um, aspects of the spiritual life that need perfecting by wisdom. You know, so you've got... Uh, so that, that, and that's the wisdom of, of non-self, or the wisdom of uh, that comes from uh, seeing through our assumptions about who we are. That that that, that wisdom that, that comes through real seeing through those assumptions and through those emotional, um, very strong emotional holdings on to particular identities, the way we see ourselves and the way we see our world. Those, uh, those identifications are incredibly strong. And wisdom is when we're able to abandon those and be quite free of those. And you could say the whole, the whole of Buddhism is a training in uh, pragna paramita in that way. And, the, and it transforms the first four paramitas of dana, shila, shanti, virya. You know, giving, um, ethical behaviour, which is... You could say just an extension of giving. You know, it starts off with giving. That primes the pump, if you like. You start, you start realising you can have a, a generous, a more generous spirit. And out of that comes all kinds of actions. So the whole of ethics, like you, you could be a nicer person or you could be, be um, perhaps that's not quite the right word, but you could be a, uh, a more helpful person. You know, out of that generous spirit comes all the, those ethical qualities, you could easily become a bit more truthful. You could easily be a little bit, bit more contented and less greedy. You could easily become, uh, you know, more ethical. So so that's the Shila Paramita. And then the Shanti Paramita is the, the patience. Also, it's another aspect of ethics, really. But it's like a finer point, because you're able to deal more with suffering. That's, that's, that's the, uh, the patience, the Shanti and then there's the uh, the virya, which is the putting more energy in. In a way, there's a lot more energy freed up through all these little freeings up, if you like. And that, that's that. That's the virya. You're able to put a lot more of your time, and you just have more of all of that to, to, to give to the practice. But it's only through only through the the pragna or the wisdom, uh, the non-self wisdom or the wisdom that is able to abandon. Uh, self-view or self-grasping, that these four paramitas become perfected 
become more freed up and more you just become more available everything becomes more available through the the principle of wisdom in that sense so that the the uh, dhyana paramita the, the paramita of meditation is the same you know so we just putting it very simply we learn meditation we practice meditation we're all doing that but as as wisdom starts to uh, change us fundamentally change who we are uh, change who we think we are, change everything about our um, understanding of ourselves and our world, and uh, it just transforms the meditation practice as well. And, that, and that's that's the uh, the way that the jhana paramita becomes a paramita and isn't just jhana. Jhana means meditation, it just means meditation. Um, but jhana paramita means meditation that's been that's been worked on by wisdom. So it has this transforming effect. It's made dynamic and spontaneous through one becoming just more real and, and more spontaneous and being freed up, you know, in the in the deepest part of oneself. So that, that's basically it. I might as well stop there, you know. Um, but I will say more. Um, uh... Really, jhana or, or meditation uh, is the whole field of meditation. All the different kinds of meditation practice that we do. Um, at the moment, most of us are doing a fairly small range of practices, and that's very appropriate. You know, we don't have time to do much else, and it's good to stick with, uh, you know, what works. It's good. It's good to train in. Uh, uh, um, what's it called uh, um, integration of mind through the mindfulness of breathing concentration it's helpful to all of us you know we're, we're, we're subject to so much distraction that uh, you know, in a way the more concentration the better um, but at the same time it's not enough because you can be a very concentrated person but you can be very lacking in other parts of departments of your life you know you probably all know people who are totally very focused but actually they're not available to anybody else somehow um, and they're a bit sort of narrow in a certain way well we could become like that too you know so th- there needs to be a certain balance in the practice there needs to be also a loving mind that's the other aspect of meditation practice is developing a loving mind developing uh, and opening up to use this word developing all the time, it starts to sound a bit wrong, but it's also opening up to, um, stepping into um, a, a more generous heart and, and uh, uh, more empathy and more realization that other people really do exist, you know, etc. You know that that those that sort of uh, practice that we get from the metta bhavana, and if you want to develop that more, there's the other uh, meditations that are based on the metta bhavana, like the karana, the Compassion meditation, uh, meditation on uh, sympathetic joy, mudita, uh, and the meditation on um, emotional equ- uh, equanimity. Um, and those are the, the, the Brahma Vihara meditations, and also the meditation on, on uh, um, um, well, it's called the Maha Karana, the, the great compassion, which is compassion 
that again is affected by wisdom, in which there's some reflection of wisdom, so it becomes uh, even more transformed by the practice. So it's an incredibly rich field, and I've only talked about what, five meditations. There's literally thousands of Buddhist meditations, um, but they 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 all have the, they're all rooted in those areas. Actually, they're all rooted in concentration of mind, in a loving mind, and also in insight or, or um, pragna. So so there is that connection, but especially in the area of wisdom. There's a huge range of different practices. I may, might say a little bit about that later. Um, you know, so I, I wanted to give a sense of the the richness of it all. Um, but it's not only the whole field of meditation; it's also the conditions for meditation. So, um, you know, we meditate. And we come to the class tonight and it's relatively easy for us all to meditate deeply or more deeply just because we come together. You know, and you come, there's an atmosphere down there in that shrine that we've created just by coming together. And that's a condition for meditation that isn't usually there in our lives. Um, and that condition for meditation has come about because we have this you know, we have a commitment to it, and it shows, you know, you can feel it in the room. So that that feeling of commitment, you can create for yourself at home, um, but it would need to be really strong to, to have that sort of effect. So, for, but you can, you can develop it on your own. And it's a good, and in a way, the, the, a lot of Buddhist practice is about developing that feeling of connection with the practice and, and a feeling of a sort of present commitment to it that creates an excellent condition for the practice. And you could say some of those conditions would be the other paramitas. You know, it would be those ethical things, done, having, trying to be more generous, having a generous mind, having, having, more, having a more um, loving mind, more helpful mind. Um, but there are other things one can do as well, such as chanting. You know, chanting, puja, maybe having a shrine, having all, all these sort of helps that can help create the right kind of atmosphere. Um, another, another really good condition for meditation is going on retreat. So, in a way, on a Tuesday night, you go down to the shrine and a lot of other people are there meditating. It's a bit like for 40 minutes, there's a little retreat. Well, sometimes here at the centre they organise the weekends or even a whole week, I think, in the summer, when they go away and have a retreat. And, and uh, uh, a couple of us, uh, at least, are going to go away for a whole month in, for, in Buddhafield in, in June. We're going to have this uh, total immersion retreat. And there are lots of other retreats that are organised in our movement. So... That's a really helpful condition you already know about for meditation. So, Dhyana Paramita covers all of that. Um, it, it, you know, if you have, you have the conditions right, you just feel freed up to work directly on your mental state. I think that's, that's how it works. 
you know, in that shrine room, you sitting, everyone's sitting around you. Okay, you're there. You decide to be here. There's someone at the front ring the bell. They say a few words, and you feel you can really put those into practice because all the conditions are there. You know, your, your mind is is uh, um, receptive and open, and you know, for for a while, for a brief respite in the rest of your life, and that's really what the conditions are about: creating that sort of um, sense of space. I could say. Um, so there are these two aspects of jhana paramita there's what's called shamatha and there's what's called vipassana you've probably heard these words at one time or other shamatha means the kind of meditation that's concerned with Calming the mind, stabilizing mind, making the mind rich and receptive, big mind, sort of the sort of state of mind that comes from mindfulness of breathing practice, but also comes to some extent from metta bhavana, from that loving mind, the calm, a bit like the the still lake, you know, without the wind even ruffling the surface, it's completely still, and uh, that's called. Shamatha is also called jhana. It's also called, called jhana. And uh, in a way, when we talk about jhana paramita, that's mostly what we're referring to, actually, is shamatha, meditation. And when, the, the, when it becomes perfected by wisdom, or when the wisdom starts entering the scene and having an effect on, on the, uh, the dhyanaized consciousness, uh, or the shamatized consciousness, then it starts to become what we call vipassana. And uh, vipassana meditation is the meditation that's directed towards insight or seeing things as they really are, beyond our suppositions and assumptions, um, which go very, very deep and have very deep roots that you can't just cut off, you have to pull them right up, as it were. Um, so shamatha meditation or dhyana, vipassana meditation, or pragna, really, that's how it works. Um, and we can see it in terms of uh, karma work and dharma work, because there's another way to look at it. Um, we look at it in terms of the kind of conditioning you're entering into. Um, the Buddhism sees our existence as one in which all kinds of Different conditions affect everything, everything, including what we call ourselves. You know, so there's, in a way, physics. You know, there's, there's physics. There's gravity. You know, there, there's um, electricity. All these are really big conditions. There's, you know, if it wasn't for gravity, um, things would look very, very different. We'd be floating around, or our bodies wouldn't hold together. It would just be totally uh, very, very different. Let's not go there. So gravity is very important, right? Um, and it's an important condition under which we live our lives. It makes a big difference. Um, and there are also all kinds of other uh, um, principles of physics that deeply affect us, you know, that deeply affect everything that happens, like weather, ecology, all those things. 
Although when, we, when I say the word ecology, we start to get into another area of conditioning, which is biological. You know, it's like how, the way our bodies work, the way the elements, I was talking about the elements in the meditation, the way the elements are out of harmony sometimes, or in harmony at other times. And uh, it, it's that uh, biological nature that we've got. It's another aspect of the conditioning. We can't do anything about that either. You know, we're born like this in these rather strange forms, you know. I don't often have a chance to sort of ask these questions, but, you know, these beings with two eyes who are looking at each other with arms they can wave and hair and getting older and, you know, all these strange things that are products of our biological conditioning. Um, and then another, another level is a, is, a bit, is a bit like levels of conditioning, more, ba- you know, the physics being very basic, then the biological, and then there's the mind, or, or the automatic mind. So, for example, um, it's the way our senses uh, convey information. Um, it's, it's a way that we're, we're conditioned by the way our mental faculty works. This is a, a, a bit mysterious, but the scientists are getting into this area now with... with uh, um, neuroscience and so on um, it's just very interesting but it's a conditioning we don't really we can't really do anything about but at the same time we're aware that it's a strong influence upon us the way the brain works the way our nervous system works it's slightly different from biology because it's it's mental and it, it's um, uh, it's volitional but but unconscious volitional if you like so you, there you started to get into the area where your conscious mind can start to have an influence on the condition. It's not completely passive. So here we're getting into what we call in Buddhism the, 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 the conditioning uh, of action, where you can influence your world, you can change your experience. The rest is just happening. But this bit, you can change a little bit. And this is, this is called, in, in Buddhism, this is called karma, which just means action, actually. Just means activity. Um, uh, there are names for the others, but I'll, I'll, I'll bore you if I tell you what they are. You can look them up. Um, so th- this, is, this is the realm of conditioning called the karma, karmic, which is ethical because uh, you can create a better world, or you can create a better experience, and you can do all kinds of things. You can do that for other people as well. So that, that's the sort of karmic. Uh, can, level of conditioning and that's where meditation works it works in that area In jhana works in this karmic um, aspect of conditioning because it's in meditation that you you can feel all the other conditioning factors going on but at a certain, you can choose to become more calm, you can choose to take your attention onto the breath you, you can choose to allow yourself to open up. All these things are karma. You're creating, you're creating something. You're creating a, a, a new sort of momentum. You're not just sitting there watching or experiencing all the thoughts and, and impulses just going through your mind, which would be the, just the mental conditioning without any intervention, if you like. There's an intervention with the karma, the karma niyama it's called, the karma level of conditioning. So with, with meditation, you're working with, the, with the, what's called the kamma, or the karma. Um, 
Well, that's with the shamatha. That's with that's with the calming aspect of the meditation. When the wisdom comes in, there's an, another layer of conditionality which comes about when you start to realise that things are not conditioned by. They're not really influenced by self. You know, this idea, this the the self grasping that we have. Uh, changes our whole perception, limits our perception. When we start to let go that, that those tendencies of self-grasping or grasping onto an idea of who we are, in all, in all, in all kinds of ways, in many, many ways, um, when, that's, when that starts to loosen up a bit, and I'm, I'm, we, we've all had some experiences of that loosening up, I'm sure, it starts to change the way... Uh, Life happens. It's a it's a whole conditioning factor. So, there's supposedly a, a level of conditioning that comes into operation when that is let go, and that's called the dhamma niyama or the the uh, conditioning of reality. It's the way things actually are. They, we, you know, um, when those those illusions are let go. So, meditation works with the. It works to some extent with the with the mana, with the mind conditioning, with the automatic mind functioning, like the, the nervous system and so on, because that is affected by looking and experiencing as you do in meditation. But there's also the ethical aspect. But the, the wisdom side, the the, um, the pragna paramita, the, the perfection, works on the dharma. Um, on, on the, the, the conditioning level which is beyond self-grasping. So this is a little bit hard to understand, but at the same time, maybe you get a sense that, that, that there are these um, potentialities in our existence now that you can actually get a little bit of a taste of. So that's jhana, and that's jhana paramita the perfecting or the perfection aspect of, of meditation, or meditation when it's acted on by wisdom, or by the beginnings of wisdom. Um, in a way, there's, there's, there's not a lot in... I'm trying to find stuff in the traditional texts about Dhyana Paramita, and they all just seem to go on and on about uh, uh, getting away from your family stuff like this. <laughs> they, they just go on and on about um, leaving your husband. You know, Get away from your, your family. Get away from your responsibilities. Just let all that go. Don't you see that you're going to die? And uh, you know, it gets you to reflect on death and reflect on all the ugliest aspects of uh, uh, the human body and all this stuff in a way to persuade the reader that they need to meditate. And I think I think for for us, it's not quite the same. We, we I mean, I'm sure it's it's not a bad thing to reflect on the 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 sort of uh, what you could say the um, the negative aspect of the group and the way it can sort of hold you back and all that sort of thing. But we, I think we're so used to that. We, we're actually quite familiar with that, and. We also already appreciate what meditation is about. We already appreciate the value of retreats and so on. I, I, so I, th- I think uh, society must have been very different when that stuff was written. Um, 
you know, I can't argue with a lot of what is said, but at the same time, it seems to me that uh, what we need to focus on is a slightly different thing, which is, yes, go away, create the right conditions and meditate, but you are already doing it. You just need to do it more and appreciate what you could do with it. I think that's probably more than what we need to, to, to learn about. So sometimes I find the traditional texts aren't always of value to us in, in terms of immediately putting into practice. Um, in principle it is, but in practice, I think there's so much that we can discover from the practice we already have. Um, so I, I think for us that, that would be the beginnings of not only jhana, you have the beginnings of jhana already, but the, the perfection of jhana, or the, the jhana paramita. So I, I, th- I think I've said enough there. I've said it all in the first three or four minutes, but I've said it a bit, in a bit more length. And if, if there are some questions, we might be able to uh, uh, make a finer point and draw it out a bit further. What do you think? Yeah. On your mind, because there's a chap here who's, um, who's, uh, he's talking to, to Jananda about mm. artificial intelligence, and I just overheard him saying that they're coming up against barriers when they try and kind of have a mind by itself, so to speak. So they realize that there's like memories and all sorts of stuff that to do with your physical sensations of being embodied. Mm. Um, you know, this idea of having an abstract, intelligent mind. Yes. So you need to, you know, they, for, for, to have actual intelligence, you need to be embodied somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite interesting. So you need a body to kind of have a mind as well. Uh, it's certainly Buddhist tradition. You don't have disembodied spirits in Buddhism at all. You know, the, 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 you know, they're all perhaps all these sort of mythic or mythological or, or rather strange sort of sort of beings floating around in some Buddhist text. They're all embodied. The, their bodies may be very subtle. They may be, may be just like a colour, you know. But at the same time, there's some kind of embodiment. There's always some kind of embodiment. You don't, you don't have disembodied spirits floating around. I hope that's helpful. <laughs> Is that reassuring? I was just just take this opportunity to plug the international retreat actually. Oh yeah, good. Because you were mentioning uh, the possibility of retreats and how wonderful those conditions are to deepening our meditation practice. And Joe here, who's sitting next to you, is telling me that you're going to the international retreat, aren't you? Yeah. And there might be more people going. And it's at Taraloka, which is in Wales, and it's the first weekend of uh, June, isn't it? Amashila will be there as well. Yeah, I'm giving talk a talk. Yeah. I'm doing some workshops, maybe. Yeah, I am, yeah. And so the idea is... You get to it, camp as well. Yeah, you get to yeah. camp, yeah. and it will be about 500 people yeah. uh, coming together and yeah. meditating and doing... Jinanda's going to be there, I think. Are you going to be there? Is that right? What? <laughs> 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 International Retreat. Is that right? Where is it? If I 
first weekend of June? Could well be, yes. I think Radnor Prabhu will be there. could well be there. Radnor Prabhu will be there. I think he's going to do some storytelling and some workshops as well. There's usually a, a few hundred people. It's, quite, it's a bit like a little festival. It's only four days, actually, I think. Yes, I think so. And some of you have been to Tarakurunya's Pujas, which are usually about seven people. So imagine doing a puja with about 500 people. So, uh, yeah, just think about it. There's more information on the website uh, of Tarakurunya, I suppose. You can bring your kids as well if you've got any children. Anyway, just plugging Mm. that. I'll ask you about the, the wisdom. Um, um, yeah, in a way, that's the most interesting thing about it, isn't it? Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> um, if if um, uh, you're saying about um, meditating and and wisdom coming from it, or is that is it is it mm. what you were saying that you you the wisdom is a is a mm. natural yeah I didn't say I didn't say anything about the method of wisdom, did I? No. I just talked about wisdom being being this, you know, being this thing beyond our preconceptions and all that stuff. But I didn't say anything about how you develop it. Well, that's a bit of something I missed out, partly because I think, is it next week? Someone's going to be talking about the Premier Paramita, so I think it's Yashu Bodhi. But anyway, I'll, I'll, just give, I'll just give the whole game away. And uh, you can say it again tomorrow, because, next week, because um, it always bears repetition and it's always different from a different person. Well, I mean, you've got so many methods of, of meditation on wisdom that they're usually reflections on um, your experience being empty of self or empty of any real um, essence or any real... Um, you know, we have this assumption that I am me. And it's true, I am, personally. And you aren't as well. But, I mean, there isn't really anything objective that is holding that together you know there isn't you know is it your brain is it where is it exactly is it in your body is it floating above your body etc so have all these reflections on on just getting yourself to see um that it's quite an unnecessary construct and i i I think everyone when they're growing up they need they obviously need to have a healthy sort of sense of self and to compete with other people or you know, whatever boys do, what girls do, they need to develop that. But after, 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 when you become a mature person, you can actually look at that and you can see, well, actually, um, I don't need, I don't need to think in that way because it all works anyway. <laughs> Life works without uh, um, a strong uh, grasping at ourself, and and of course. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I hope I don't sound as though I'm trying to uh, let you know that I've completely freed myself from this illusion. Absolutely not, um, because it, it's when it's when it's when at times when, for example, you get very irritated by somebody. There's a very strong sense of what's different between me and them. That's ego. That's 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 ego grasping. That's grasping at a me that wouldn't do something as despicable as that, etc. Or when we really, really want something, more than anything else, as it were, very strong desire. That's a very strong sense of self. But a lot of this very strong sense of self leads to quite um, 
unhelpful behaviour. So there's a direct relationship between, between ego grasping and uh, unhelpful action. That, and I mean unhelpful to oneself and unhelpful to others. And often unhelpful is a bit of a euphemism, like it's much more than unhelpful. It's downright damaging you know, in all kinds of ways. So um, there's a direct relationship between wisdom, the cultivating, cultivation of um, freedom from self-grasping, and... Uh, behaviour, and just everything, really. So, I don't know if I've completely answered your question. But, but I, I, what I said was that the methods are usually in that area of like, of like looking in various ways at that. Another way it's done is through uh, the idea of permanence. We think, we tend to think everything's going to last. Mm-hmm. It's like when the sun, when the sun comes up in the morning, you go, ah, oh, it's a nice sunny day. And you go out and you leave your coat at home, you leave your room, and you really have a feeling that it's going to be sunny all day. Because we want it to be. Um, or, okay, alright, maybe bad example at the moment. At the moment, that's a bad example. But think of, alright, think of in the, in the, in the summertime, when, when the sun's been out for a few days in England, I think people tend to think, oh, it's summer now, <laughs> and uh, it's going to be sunny, it's just going to be sunny. And then when it, it doesn't happen, there's a horrible disappointment, and then, <laughs> and then it all clicks back in again, and you get used to it all over again. I don't know, that's an example of a, a tendency to think things are permanent. There are much more difficult examples, like people. You know, I mean, a friend of mine has just died, I'm very, I was completely surprised to, to find out that... Um, you know, I knew he was going to die this year, probably, because um, he had cancer. I knew he had—he was quite advanced with cancer. But I was just thinking, you know, I'd arranged to go and see him in August. Lived in Spain, and then you get the email, and uh, you realise that, oh, that's it. You know, and uh, it's just impermanence. When you sort of expect permanence, you sort of expect things to last, but are they done? Of course, uh, unpleasant things don't last either, which is good. We can sometimes quite often think that. And now this is unpleasant. It's just going to carry on like this, but that can change too. Everything changes. I think that's the... The meditation is on change, um, impermanence, that nothing, that nothing lasts. And actually, when you look into it, there isn't anything to last. You know, what are the things that we think of that are lasting, you look into them and you, you can't exactly find the, the particular component behind it all that's supposed to be everlasting. And, and the, the meditations are also about, about that, not only about impermanence, but about um, the thingness that we attribute to our experiences, which we think are the, the, kind of the components that don't change. There's a few things in there, aren't there? Yeah. That's, that's all. In, that's why there are these thousands of different meditation practices. It's all because there are so many different approaches. You could take as many approaches approaches as there are different people. You know. What is the meditation on impermanence? Uh, well, just look at your experience and see it's impermanent. See it's changing. We did a bit, little bit in the in the in the practice today. In, you take your attention to the breath and notice that it's changing. And 
that's almost like entertainment, isn't it? You say, oh yes, you know, some, at least I can enjoy something here. You know, the changing breath. But if you take it a little bit deeper, um, it's a meditation on the whole of life. There's something there which pertains to everything that happens. It's never the same from one moment to the next. And the bit that you're comparing with doesn't really exist. You know, the bit that you're comparing that is happening and the bit that hasn't happened yet, that bit could actually be analysed in lots of different bits because there isn't any one bit. This is making any sense. <laughs> but but I, I think this, is, this really gets into it, you know, that, that, that our experience is actually so covered over by our assumptions about permanence that you won't believe it, you know. And it's very transformative. You get into it. It's very transformative. I think this six elements meditation is making me think mm. of this. Is that yeah. I've experienced that meditation with Pamanda mm. that really brings home impermanence to me in a way that's mm. very, well, almost frightening actually, but certainly very strong. Mm. It's sort of wonderful, but it, yeah. it's, it's also opens up a lot that you're not accustomed to thinking about. Mm. So it's it's. Um, it's at least surprising somehow. Mm. Yeah, say, say a bit more about it. Well, the first time mm. I experienced it, I thought I felt a bit like I was floating free or something, else, mm. but not necessarily in a very good way because yeah. oh, when, when I realised that it's all changing and none of it exists, sort mm. of, because it's not mm. going to stay around. Well, none of it exists substantially. Substantially, exactly, yeah. so it's not yeah. sort of permanent. Then... I sort of ended up feeling a little bit, well, who am I? What is it? Mm. What, what is this? And mm. um, we had a brief, um, well, there was a discussion after the meditation about it, and somebody said it's quite important to do quite a, um, since I've met her after, mm. or around it, mm. just to sort of, you know, bring things back sort of in a way. But it changed, actually. I, I mm. think that the first time I did it, I was, I was a bit scared, really. Mm. Mm. Um, but I've done it a few times since then, and I really, I think it's a great meditation. Because mm. you just, you can let, I've, I've experienced letting go of something in a, in a better way than the first time I did it when I felt a bit. Yeah. To um, cut loose from being grounded. Although yeah, well I, done. I'm not really that sounds like you're really engaged with that practice. Yeah. It does take, everything takes work to, to do well, and sometimes mm. you, usually when you start off, it's not. You know, it's not. Um, it just needs needs working on, doesn't it? Mm. And, and it, it, it might. You might not get it at first. I think with the six N approach, you tend to get it. But some of these, some of these meditation can seem a bit abstract. You know, when I was talking about the, the bit, which bit is it that changes, and there aren't any bits that change. It just sounds incredibly abstract to some people's ears. I'm sure. You know, it's not abstract. We're talking about. Exper- real experience, the depths of experience which you don't usually see. But something like the, the six element practice where you're looking at the earth element in your body and you're realising that you don't really own it. Mm-hmm. And we, we tend to think that, that I, I own my legs. Mm-hmm. You know, they are my, that is my leg you're, 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 you're touching there. Well, that's my foot you're treading on there. In what sense is it yours? You know, in what sense? What do you mean by that? It's a sort of it's sort of 
opens up that, that sort of question. That, that's the, the inquiry of wisdom or vipassana or prapna. Yeah. I haven't got to do it on my own yet. I think we should leave a little bit for Yasha Bodhi next week. Okay. But maybe we're getting them well primed for you. Thank yeah. <laughs> you so much. What was the name of the meditation that you talked through a year last New Year's Eve, which ended in a spider's web? Oh, God. The spectrum at the top opening up and then going? As a kind of impermanence that the wind will just catch on the spider's web and the sunlight at the same moment, bring up the spectrum and then it's gone and then you closed it down again. You Sometimes you just don't know amazing. what goes on in people's heads when you lead these meditation <laughs> <laughs> you talk, you talk Was, was there a diagram? Is it a diagram? Was it? Was I doing meditation on, on conditionality, for example? Was I doing meditation on 24 Nidanas, perhaps? I don't remember, that. I don't remember I doing remember that one. talking through meditation where you rise up and see the spectrum and then close it all down again and it's as if it never was. Oh, I think I know what it is. It's the stupa visualization. Um, yeah. S T U, not S T U P O R, but S T U P A, which 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 is a um, well, it's a it's it's a monument actually. You can see physical stupas, and uh, um, but essentially it's a representation of the six elements. So so you have earth which is a, a geometrical a cube, a, a beautiful yellow cube. Water element is a, is a, um, a globe shape, white, light water holding together. And then the fire element is a, is a, is a, a cone shape, like a flame, sort of you know, stylistically like a flame. Red, of course. And then the air or the wind element is like a... A sort of disc shape, a little disc at the top of that, like a saucer or something made made of green. And you, you imagine these things. It's it's a it's a it's a visualization. You imagine the geometrical element. So you've got the wind element, and then you've got the the uh, space element, which is on top of that, which is the a sort of like a dot or a, a drop, which is multicolored. And that's where you got that bit from. It's sort of iridescent, multicolored thing because it's. Uh, it's this magical quality of space. And all around it, you visualise the whole thing in a blue sky, in an infinite blue sky, which is the element of awareness or consciousness. So you, you, it's a way to meditate on the elements by, by using uh, uh, a symbol, a, a visual symbol. And at the end of the practice, this is the bit you remember as well, you dissolve it all. It all dissolves. The, the higher elements dissolve into the lower elements. So you get the... The uh, space dissolves into the air, air dissolves into fire, fire dissolves into water, water dissolves into earth, mm. and then earth dissolves into the blue sky. Mm. And then the blue sky just goes... <laughs> <laughs> and that's it, that's the end of the practice. It's great fun, right? <laughs> very beautiful when you see them in the landscape, aren't they, if you go to India or even if you see photos of them, they're mm. very beautiful. Yeah, you wouldn't necessarily recognise them. Someone yeah. who's, some, some person who's buried there. So yeah. it's a kind of double whammy in a way, it's like marking someone's uh, death, monument. Yeah, they they used as 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 monuments for pe- people. So ashes often go in stupas, and mon- the monumental one. 
you wouldn't recognise all of them from the description I've just given you, which is a bit of a, a sort of, I don't know, a special kind of stupa or a sort of classical stupa. But oft, often, the, often the ones that... Uh, oh, yeah. That's it. Often the ones you see in the Buddhist landscapes are more like that, yeah, but probably about the size of the West London Buddhist. <laughs> you know, with a sort of stylized bit at the bottom and then a, a water element and this would be the fire element and you can just about see the uh, the wind element and the space element on top yeah it's a nice little super supposedly came from originally it was the Buddhas saying that um, they asked well, what are we going to do with you when you die and he said uh, bury me in a stupa and he folded his robe up in a sort of cube shape, in a yellow robe, and he took his bedding, begging bowl, which a bit, looked a bit like this, and he just put it on top of the robe, like that, so it was a bit like the water element. And some of the stupas in India are just that, they're just earth and water element, that's all. So earth element in Vipassana meditation is the solid bits, of the body and the the water is the, the the flowing liquid liquid bits. I, I'm not timing this actually. I don't know how long. We've got 15 minutes left. Okay. Discussion, if you like. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyone have any another question about the what I said in the talk to clarify anything? I'd be interested if you could expand a bit on like uh, our uh, we were having a discussion about what exactly Dhyana meant and using concentration and uh, maybe to just talk a bit around mm. what is meditative concentration because it's uh, I don't know, for me it's always been a bit of a funny word but um, Which? The word Dhyana you mean? No, the word concentration word concentration, yeah, yeah. A bit of a sort of um, Kind of strain, but um, yeah, for some people, yeah, it's got different associations. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I don't know whether another word could be found. Yeah, you, when you, when you're when you're, you know, people say concentrate on what I'm saying. You know, concentrate on your driving. Um, for God's sake, concentrate and. Uh, uh, it's as, it's it, the, the assumption is that you could actually make yourself do it. And I think you can make yourself do it for a few seconds. Yes. Maybe a bit more than that. But I think, I think what we're trying to do in meditation is beyond all that willpower stuff. Yes. It, it, you're trying to get deeper than that so that there's no conflict. There's no element of conflict. And uh, that would be actual jhana where you're getting beyond the barrier of conflict, if you like. It gets easier naturally, you know, um, without there being either resistance or openness to distraction. You know, that's another form of resistance in a way. It's, it's like, actually, we're very open to being distracted. You know, sort of saying, oh, come along and distract me, please, you know. So, so I, I think the real dhyana, or the real concentration of mind, would, would, would be that conflict-free, 
uh, integration of mind in, w- in which your, your mind is, is naturally completely absorbed on what it's contemplating. You know, just just like when you know you're doing one of your paintings, and you know, like you're really absorbed in it. And you know, if if the phone rang, you might not even hear it because you're so <laughs> you're so absorbed in it. You know, in a way that you don't have to concentrate. In the way that perhaps I think quite unhelpfully about that word that you have to force yourself to do something mm. that you don't really want to do. But I think what you're talking about is that you're happy to be doing what you're doing, and it doesn't really need. A lot of effort. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Yeah. The, the effort's been made, or some of the effort is actually in relaxing. Yeah. You know, some of the effort is simply to um, actually create the conditions for the for the for the mind to come together. I think integration isn't a bad word, really. Just integration of mind, because it it, it suggests that the conditions have just come together for it to happen without too much conscious willing, as it were. Obviously at first you do need, you know, there is there is a conscious will, there is there is a definite desire for it to happen. But you you get more practiced in uh, in not forcing it somehow. Yeah. Sorry, I I was just thinking it's more like creative though. Yes, yeah. You're creating conditions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Making something happen. Yeah. Yes, you create the conditions and you can have a certain faith or confidence that it's going to happen. You put, you put all the ingredients in the bowl, um, you know, you mix them, mix them all up and you can be confident that when you put it in the oven, it's going to make a nice cake or something like that. It's all the right ingredients. Yeah. I'm, I was um, was a bit confused by this whole talk because for some reason when I read the email I got it into my head that the word that you said means uh, meditation was actually connected with pleasure. Oh. And I well, got how it. did you get that idea? <laughs> and then this evening during the, during the meditation you talked, uh, just for a second you sort of, I thought again, mentioned about it you know, enjoying it or it being pleasurable. Yeah. Well, it's, it should be enjoyable. I, I didn't mean to suggest that it wasn't. No, no, no. I didn't, I didn't mm. feel that you had. It was just that when you said meditation, I was like, yeah, where's the pleasure bit? <laughs> I was oh. really, yeah, really looking forward to Oh, that. Didn't, didn't, <laughs> it sound, didn't any of it sound pleasurable? Well, it, it did. But it was always, it was a bit heady. <laughs> oh. Well, look, when, 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 I, when I'm talk, we're talking about this, this sort of um, freedom beyond uh, suppositions and so on, yeah, it sounds a bit heady, but the reality of it <coughs> is being a lot more playful, yeah. you know, and actually being a, little more, a bit more able to engage and, mm. and uh, being a bit a lot more freed up. That's pleasant, you know. Mm-hmm. Be, being unwi- unwise and be, being caught in, in, in very unhelpful, Explanations of what the world is is painful, mm, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I Wisdom is, is is definitely a pleasure, mm. and, and so is jhana as well. You know, having 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 access to that sort of deep um, wellspring of inspiration that is jhana is definitely pleasant. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd completely it's more forgotten. than pleasant. 
about it until you yeah. were mentioning concentration, mm. and I, I knew what you meant about that quite stringent feeling, as yeah. opposed to. And then I suddenly thought it's often very pleasant when you feel present with things. Yes. And then I suddenly thought, hold on, isn't this talking to me? Ah. Well, that's Jananda, probably. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot to make references to Gianna, to Jananda's email in my talk. Sorry, sorry. You're you're the secret eminent squeeze behind these emails, aren't you? <laughs> I, I mean, I, all, all I was just pointing out was that um, that Buddhism does you know, put an emphasis on. Um, you know, on, on that element of, sort of pleasure, but and I think you know Hinduism as well. But I mean, maybe Hinduism gets maybe tends to get a bit stuck on the sort of pleasurable element. And I think I think you know Buddhism tries to um, yes, in a, in a, uh, yeah, Buddhism kind of in a sense goes sort of beyond that, but it does have a very sort of positive attitude towards enjoying. Your practice. You know, it's, it's, it's supposed to be something that I think that one should in, enjoy. I think dhyana, for me anyway, represents to some extent the element of pleasure in the in the spiritual life. Yeah, it's sometimes referred to as bliss bunnies. Bliss, people who bliss, people who really get into meditation. Well, right? you see, I th- I think that's a, you know I think that there's a slightly kind of Christian sort of derogatory sort of attitude ah, towards you're right, yeah. uh, what yeah. they, they, they say mm. they're bliss fun that's true something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something it's just they're merely into pleasure yeah they're merely yeah. into, yeah. into um, pleasure yeah. yes they're poor worldly people they're just into yeah. pleasure whereas actually um, it's actually a, a stage on isn't it in a way it's something to look up to in a way to be able to enjoy life to that extent. Well, I think uh, my experience was mm. that I was struggling with meditation. I'm always struggling with it, but I was at <laughs> this time struggling with meditation. And I talked to someone, I can't remember who it was, and I said, oh yeah, I'm struggling a bit with meditation. And he said, oh, well, spend a bit of time finding what's pleasurable in it. Mm. And it was like, oh, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> so again, away from that, concentrate into yeah. that and it was just bringing a different and yeah. that to me is a bit of wisdom just yeah, bringing too, yeah, enough view yeah. into yeah. into the mix yeah. that allows those conditions to kind of balance back again Yes. Soften, you know. we have these very strong views of what we're supposed to be doing now. They're, you know, they're conditioned by what we've taken in in our lives but then if we do use mm. the word jhana, you know often the first thing you're thinking of is these uh, levels of absorptions. And yes. I mean, you mention them in your book as well. They're, yes. quite, they're, they're, they're mentioned quite a lot in Buddhism. Yes. But there's when you're meditating, you get into a state, a state of more, getting more absorbed, getting more concentrated. Then you enter this state, which is called first dhyana, and then you've got the second and the third and the fourth, and you've got mm. an all series. You've got loads of those kind of mm. uh, stages in meditation. So that's just another way of using the word dhyana, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is, yeah. But you have not, in this talk, mentioned that use of that word. No. But it does refer back, you know, in, in those meditative stages, called dhyana, yeah. where there's a lot of absorption going on, 
there is definitely this, this element of pleasure and mm. rapture and ecstasy going on. So quite kind of really, really positive, positive But it feels very connected when mm. you talked about the body of water. Mm. I found that a very calming and quite a blissful experience. Yeah. But because it was very connected for me, yeah. it was a process of sort of connecting in with water. Right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I found that good, a good one as well. Yeah. I've been meditating for two and a half years, an hour and a half a day. It's great. I love it. I try never to miss it, but I haven't got within sniffing distance of thirsty arms or access concentration or anything like that. I don't think. I just I'm not bothered because the process is so satisfying. Mm. But it's nice maybe to get a little bit higher up. What would it look like? I mean, what, what would it feel like? Sorry, cloth ears at this end, can't hear you. What, what would it feel like to you? It's deeply satisfying. I mean, obviously I have cramp meditations too, but most of the time, particularly the morning meditation, is extremely satisfying. Uh, I'll get a great sense of calm while I'm doing it, of being tied into a process mm. and then when I stop and get on with my day mm. I have this feeling of um, sort of objectivity about life yeah yeah which is almost not disassociated that's too yeah. strong but there is yeah. a little bit of distance that isn't, yeah. doesn't make me remote no but does generally help me in my day. Yeah. I think if you're, you're sitting for that length of time every day, you must be getting something out of it, you know. You wouldn't do it otherwise. Oh, no, no, I mean, it's deep. Have you, it's Have you ever been on a retreat? Sorry? Have you ever been on a retreat? Yes, I've been on three. Hmm. And how did you, what, did it, was it the same or different? Or It was different in that it was... Cons- how can I say? Continuous. Yeah. You could I didn't think it was necessarily any deeper or higher mm. or mm. whatever. Mm. Mm. And initially I was slightly disappointed mm. because actually I have to say that in your book you say something like anyone who's been doing it for three months or something should begin to get a sniff of this. I thought, well, not me. clearly not me. <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean, I do it because the person. Do you, do you think you may have to revise your view about uh, what... Uh, I'm sorry, Tara, for do you think you may... She thinks you might need to revise your view of what first jhana is or maybe, access maybe, concentration. Yeah. But, I, mean, know, I mean, I, I, can't I, I know a bus when I see a bus. No, well, right, I wouldn't have <laughs> Anyway, look, please don't get the wrong idea. I'm not, I'm not hung up about this because the actual daily process of doing it is so yeah. enjoyable. We're back on the pleasure principle yeah. again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think um, it would probably be good to talk to someone about that if you, if you want to know, you know, where, where you're getting to with it. Anyway, perhaps we should... Uh, maybe this is the last one then. Just coming out of meditation. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of talk about meditation itself, but the, the exit, sort of the leaving that, coming yeah. back, yeah. that can be jarring at yes. times, especially yeah. if... You're getting deeper into it. Yeah, you need to be and careful. That sort mm. of dislocation is difficult, and how mm. do you sort of 
Well, how do you prevent sort of trauma from occurring? Well, I try and advise people to take it easy. And uh, at the end of a meditation, I try to say, take your time when you come out of this. And uh, I think that's the advice to give, really. And each person has to do it for themselves. But it could involve a lot more than just not doing anything for a couple of minutes. It depends what you plunge into straight afterwards. Is this not making any sense, or...? Yes, I mean, that is the natural thing to do, but it's yeah. not always easy to get your mind back to sort of grounded, you know, grounded reality. Sort of. mm. I just thought perhaps there were some mm. tricks or... <laughs> well, I think <laughs> they are. I think, I think there are. I, I need to talk to you, you know. I mean, I mean you need to talk to someone who, who, who can spend, spend a bit of time sort of... Um, knowing, you know, your what you're like. I don't know you at all, you see. I have no idea what goes on. So no one else has had this experience? Of course they do, but they'll have, yeah. it, they'll have it in a different form. Sure, of course. They'll have it in a different form. They have different sensitivities. They have a different kind of life. They have different work. And they live in a different part of London. You know, there are all sorts of factors that actually make the absorption of of the practice different for different people. Mm. Um, but ge- generally, um, take all the time you need, <laughs> and uh, uh, don't do things like making phone calls straight after meditation. You know, there's that kind of advice. I can't do any better than that, really. But sometimes it might be good, you know, to have quite a bit of space in your life. You know, like not do anything for a morning or something. You know, it's actually not so mm. much the half an hour after. It's, it's the minute. It's just the quite, you know, it's quite mm. instant sort of coming back. Okay. That. Well, you're tuned into that then. You should be able to <laughs> yeah, find out how to no, how to work with it. I'd ask. Yeah. It is a very individual thing. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please help us keep this free. Make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. And thank you.